Hello. Thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of Moore to you, thank you and God bless. Of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And throughout this whole month, we're going to be talking about why we need this good news. And in the month of June, we also have going on our sermon series every Wednesday at 630. The one word series this year, our theme is God and your iPod, the playlist of life. Now, whenever we thought about this theme, um, there was no such thing as an iPod anymore, but now they just brought back a new version of iPod, so the theme is relevant again, all right? So what we're doing is we have preachers coming in every single Wednesday, and they're presenting their best sermons, and they're using the, the, the name of a song in order to preach the message of God. And last week, we had Brother Peter Martin come in, uh, preach a sermon called Started from the Bottom, Now I'm Here. Started from the Bottom, Now I'm Here. And it was an awesome sermon. And we packed the house out, and everybody was in here hot and sweating, but I think that we had a good time in the Lord. Every single seat was full, and then some. We even had to put some seats up here at the front. So it was a great turnout. We parked in front of all these places outside here, and and everybody just had a great time in the Lord. It it was a blessing to be a part of. And and come out again on this Wednesday at 630 to be a part of this 2019 One Word series. I promise you it will bless your life. Brother Jordan Hubbard will be speaking this week. Uh, He's from Waco at the uh, Crestview Church of Christ. And his sermon topic and his song that he's chosen to preach from is uh, Old Town Road. Yeah, Old Town Road is his sermon topic. So I'm sure all of y'all are familiar with that by now. Old Town Road is his sermon topic. And so when I looked at my sermon series for the month of July, I said, you know what? I have a favorite artist. I have a favorite musician, and that is Michael Jackson. And so what I did was I grabbed song titles from Michael Jackson. I said, I'm going to use his song titles to preach about the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. On last week, we started off with we are the world. Right. And last week, what I wanted to do was introduce to you the idea that God created us as a special creation. We were we are totally different from everything else that God has created, because everything else, God, he just spoke it into existence. But God took his time and he formed man and woman, right? He formed Adam from the dirt from the ground. He took the time to take a rib from Adam and form Eve. God took his time and he formed us. He didn't just speak humanity into existence. And not only that, but God breathed the breath of life into humanity. He didn't do that with any other creature, but he did that with us. And also, God not only took the time to form mankind, but he said, I'm going to create you in my own image. And what that means is, is that we are like God. We are like God, not in the sense that we have the ability to create whole worlds, because God creates something from nothing. Amen. But but we have the ability to have dominion over creation. We do have the ability to create. We're creating something that is from something already created, but we do have the ability to create. But we also we are also tasked with having dominion over creation. And we are supposed to have this dominion and this power over creation and be like God over creation, loving all things, right? Spreading this gospel message. Christians, that's our duty. We've been called to do this thing, to be like God. But what happened was, is that we didn't stay looking like the thing that God called good. Because when God created, every day he created something, he looked at it and he said, that's good. That's good. But somewhere along the line, 
in the Garden of Eden, man and woman changed from being the good thing that God created to being something totally different. And I want to present for your hearing on this morning, and this is, this is the idea, this is the sermon title for this morning. It is Smooth Criminal. Smooth Criminal. That'll be our title for this morning. Smooth Criminal. Now, most of us in here will be familiar with the, the, the song title, Smooth Criminal. Uh, if you are old enough to be old enough, I guess that, that doesn't really make sense, but you know what I mean. If you were old enough to be alive or to be at a reading age in 1988, Michael Jackson released a song called Smooth Criminal. And in this song called Smooth Criminal, he, 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 he made this movie called Moonwalker. And in the movie, he's got this thing to where he leans forward without falling all the way down. And he's got this illusion going, right? You can't do that. Don't try to go outside and lean forward, okay? We have insurance, but we can't pay to, okay? But in this song, Michael Jackson, he, he sings this song, and he starts off with the verse. He says, as he came into the window. Now, I know that you can't understand what he's saying because he talks so fast. As he came into the window. But listen, this is what he says right here. Michael Jackson says, as he came into the window, it was the sound of a crescendo. He came into her apartment. He left bloodstains on the carpet. She ran underneath the table. He could see she was unable. So she ran into the bedroom. She was struck down. It was her doom. And he continues to ask the question over and over again. Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? It's a tragic song, right? A tragic song about somebody who is a criminal breaking into the home of someone else and harming somebody named Annie. I don't know who Annie is. But Annie was hurt by this criminal. But what I need for you to understand this morning is, is that we too deal with a smooth criminal. We too must be weary of a smooth criminal. We have someone whose goal is to cause chaos and disrupt the good thing that God has created because that's just his nature to do so. And what I'm talking about is the devil, the adversary, Satan. He wants to cause chaos in your life. He wants to look at you and he wants to go and tell God that you're not as good as what you say he is. He wants us to not be the good thing that God created. And so what he does is he is smooth with how he behaves. He is smooth with how he creates illusions, right? He's a smooth criminal. But I want you to understand that the devil doesn't need to smash into any windows. Because he's smoother than that criminal. This week, I sent out in the sermon primer for this week that gets you ready for the sermon. I sent you out a story about a man by the name of J.D. McMahon. And it says that this man named J.D., he swindled investors out of their money when he told them he was building a skyscraper. He took blueprints to the people, and within the blueprints, he replaced all the feet with inches. And J.D. then managed to escape justice because in his defense, he claimed that he never actually said the building would be 480 feet. It was only 480 inches. And to this day, the world's littlest skyscraper still stands in Wichita Falls, Texas. Because this man was so smooth, he took all this money, was supposed to build a 480-foot skyscraper. It turns out he only built a 480-inch skyscraper. <laughs> That's a smooth criminal. The devil moves in much a similar way. If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I believe if you're using a pew Bible, I believe that's page 2. Page 2 in the pew Bible. I'm going to pick up with this good creation that God has just finished creating. They're existing in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. Everything is good. Everything is lovely. They don't have to work for any food. Everything is there for them. They have dominion over everything. God exists in perfect relationship and fellowship with humanity. And then we pick up here at Genesis chapter 3. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Say hold on if you're not there. 
It's only page two. We ought to be there. All right. Genesis chapter three, verse number one. The Bible reads, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it. Y'all pay attention or you will die. Verse number four says, no, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good. Can we say good? For food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of his fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, poor Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Drop down to verse number 22, same chapter, Genesis chapter 3. The Bible reads, the Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim at the flaming, whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. We look at this, and as we see in verse number one of chapter three, this was a crafty, conniving, shifty, forward-leaning. He didn't have feet, uh, yeah. But uh, this was a, a a very smooth, smooth criminal. He came into the garden, and he took what God had created, which was good. And he made it into something bad. So we asked ourselves the question, how did this happen? How did this happen? How does sin take place? And the great thing about God that we can always bank on, that we can always, we can set our alarm clock to it. God is always going to give us an answer for the things in which we're looking for. And I'll go even a step further. God will always give us an answer to the things that we need. Amen. How did this happen? What I'm going to do this morning is I want to explain to you what sin is and how it works. You see, the, the action of sin is not a very complicated process. Uh, and as we're going to look in the New Testament today in which to describe sin and the process of how it begins and how it takes place, we're going to look at the letter of James, this epistle, and it is believed, go ahead and turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. It is believed that this letter here is written by the brother of Jesus. It's written by the brother of Jesus. And this letter is written to a group of Christians uh, who are dealing with trials and tribulations. And as you read James, it kind of reminds you of Proverbs. There's a lot of things that are said in James. When you read them, you, you think to yourself, now, I knew that was the right thing. Why didn't I think of that? And I remember reading the book of James whenever I was a younger person. And I would read and I would say, this is the duh book. Duh. You read this and you're like, okay, it makes total complete sense that this is a thing. Why didn't I recognize that? And what James does, he starts off writing this epistle much like Paul does. But then he starts going this topic, that topic, and that topic, and he's all over the place. But in this beginning section of chapter 1, James starts talking about the trials and tribulations that we as Christians must go through. And what happens is and when we face these trials and tribulations, these things do not happen to us because God is a mean God or because God doesn't love us, but these things happen to us so that we may be strengthened and so that our relationship with God will be stronger. And so when we drop down to verse number 12, 
we're going to see something here. Brother Arnold, if you could for me, read verse number 12. Blessed is the one who endures trials. The Bible here starts off by saying, blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he has stood the test, uh-huh. he will receive the crown of life. When he has stood the test, he will receive the what? Crown of life. The crown of life. Come on, keep reading. That God has promised to those who love him. Okay, keep going through 13. No one undergoing a trial should no say. No one undergoing a trial should say. I am being tempted by God. I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil. Since God is not tempted by evil. And he himself doesn't tempt anyone. All right. James chapter 1 verse number 12 and 13. What I need you to see first here is the difference between trial and temptation. The difference between trial and temptation. Trials are things that happen outside of yourself. Temptation is something that happens within you. All right? Y'all got that note section on the bulletin. Y'all take these notes, okay? Trials are things that happen outside of you. Temptation is something that happens within you. This is something that happens within your heart, right? Something that happens within that computer on top of your neck, right? That thing that processes information. And here, James starts off in verse number 12. He says, blessed is the one who endures trials. Now, this is a strange thing to say, James. You mean that when things are going bad in my life, I should feel as though I'm blessed? I should feel as though this is a good thing that's happening to me that I'm struggling. James says, because this is a blessing, because, because when he has stood the test. And what he's saying right there, whenever you come out on the other side in a favorable position. Whenever you take the test and you pass it. Y'all remember passing those tests in school that you really didn't study for? And then you end up getting an A or a B. James here is talking about whenever the test of life comes in, into, into your path. When the things that are hard come before you and you have to pass through them. When you stand the test, when you pass the test, when you're still on God's side, when you go through that hard time in your life. What does the Bible say? Because when he has what? He will receive the crown of life. It says he will receive the crown of life. Pause right there. When we think about crowns, I'm reading this and I'm looking at the text in its original language. And what I notice is when I think about a crown, I'm thinking about a crown crown. Right? That thing that you see on TV shows. Gold, jewels in it perfectly fits everybody's head. Well, you know that's not the case all the time, but it always fits perfectly when somebody gets a crown on TV. When I'm thinking about this crown, that's what I think about. But in actuality, when you look at the language, this is just talking about a prize. This is just talking about a prize. Now, before, a couple of years ago, before when kids played sports, uh, when I was a young kid, everybody didn't get a trophy. Now everybody gets a trophy. That's another topic. The team who got first got the big trophy. The team who got second got one that was a little bit small. The team that got third got one that was the smallest out of the three. And only top three got trophies. Those top three teams had to earn those trophies. And this prize of life, this eternal life with God, is something that must be earned. Now, you say, Chris, I've been coming on Wednesday night Bible class, and you say that there are no works to gain salvation. You're right, there's not. But there are works to give back the gift that God has freely given us. And if you come into the trials in your life, and you choose to move away from God in those trials, and go the path of Satan, then you are returning that gift of life that God has promised to those who love him. Is that clear? Okay. Verse number 13. Let's go there again. Read that for us, Brother Arnold. 
No one undergoing a trial should say. It says no one undergoing a trial. No one that having a bad time in their life. They should never say this. I'm being tempted I by God. I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted since by God evil. God is not tempted by evil. And he himself doesn't tempt anyone. And he anyone. himself doesn't tempt anyone. I need you to understand this. This word defined, this word tempt means to put to the test in order to ascertain the nature of something including imperfections, faults, or other qualities. Take that note down. You know, when you go to the pawn shop and you say, you know what, I sure did work hard these last two weeks. I need me a new chain. And you go to the pawn shop and you look at the, the little glass counter and you see those gold necklaces down there, you say, that's the one I want. You pick up the chain and you hold it up to the light and you see how heavy it is. That's you testing to see if that thing is real gold or not, right? When your best friend has somebody ask the ladies, when your best friend has a man ask her to be her his wife, and she gets that new rock on her finger, you say, let me see that ring. <laughs> you might take it and go scratch it up against a piece of glass to see if it's a real diamond. You might hold it up to see if it shines the right way, see if it's got some clarity to it. Because the good ones are real clear, right? That's you testing to see how real something is or see what the real nature of something is. And what this is saying right here is that God is not tempting us for the purpose of causing us to sin. God doesn't allow trials in our lives so we can fall and God says, gotcha, you're going to hell now. I knew that would get you. That's not the type of God that we serve. That's not the type of God that we serve. We may be those type of beings. We might set traps for people. But that's not the type of God that we serve. Verse 13 says again, no one undergoing a trial should say I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. So whenever you're having financial difficulties in your life, Sometimes it may cause us to question God's providence in our life. Is God really providing for me? That's not what, that's not the purpose of it happening, but sometimes it happens. Sometimes in our lives we have loved ones who die, and this can tempt us to question God's love for us. Sometimes we look at the world and we see righteous people suffering and evil people doing well, and we ask, is the justice of God even real? And some of us may go as far to ask, does God even exist if it's possible for poor righteous people to be doing bad and wicked people to do well? When we look at verse number 13, there is not a lie present. The audience must understand that it is not saying that God does not test or tempt at all. God most definitely tested Abraham when he told him to take Isaac up. He tested him. He wanted to see what he was made out of. But it wasn't for the purpose of causing Abraham to sin. That ordeal, when he raised up that knife to kill his son, strengthened Abraham's faith. You see, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that when Abraham went to go kill his son, at that point in time, he had faith that God would bring him back from the dead. So he was ready and willing to do exactly what God wanted him to do. And that ordeal caused Abraham's faith to be strengthened, a man that already had good faith. And you may be saying to yourself, I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. I've been I've been coming to church. I've been going to Bible class. I've been telling everybody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that Abraham was already the father of faith, but God still wanted him to strength, strengthen his relationship. You're not exempt. You're not exempt from going through suffering. I want you to know that God tested Job. Job was a man who was found to be blameless, and God still allowed for him to be tested and tempted. I want you to understand that God tested the children of Israel, allowing some people who were not of the children of Israel to be around them. God's testing is never to cause us to sin or to destroy our faith. And this is the key here. The tests of God are to strengthen our faith, not to produce sin. That's what must be understood. 
the test of God are to strengthen faith, not to produce sin. Verse number 14 of James chapter 1. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away. Now, it says here, but each person is tempted. Each person finds out who they are when they are what? Drawn away. It says when they are drawn away. And enticed by his own evil and desires. And enticed by his own evil desires. There is a revealing of who you truly are that comes to the surface when evil desires are present. There is absolutely nothing wrong with having desires. This morning I desired bacon and I ate some bacon. But if I keep on eating that bacon after I'm full, then there's going to be an evil desire. There's nothing wrong with desiring a man or a woman. There is something wrong with desiring another man's woman or another woman's man. <laughs> I desire to have a Lincoln Continental. They just brought those back. If that is my sole purpose to have that, and I take a couple extra dollars out the collection plate to get it, that desire has turned evil. But what James is talking about here is the desires that we have that are prohibited by God. There are things in which we desire that God just says we should not do. There are some things that, are, that we desire that God just says we should not do. And what James says here in verse number, uh, was it 14? 14, he says that when the evil desires come into play, we are drawn away. And this verb here in the Greek means for something to be forcefully pulled. It says we're drawn away and what else? And enticed and by his enticed own evil desire. By his own evil desire. Now, I'm not a good fisherman. I'm not a good fisherman. The only fish that I've ever caught in my life were perches, and those are easy to catch. They hang out by the shallow part. You just throw your worm in there. They're going to bite. I ain't, I've, I've never caught any fish bigger than this. But I've heard, I've heard that there's these uh, lures that people can put on the string, the line, whatever you call that. They throw it off into the water, and those things look like real bugs swimming in the water. Some of them had tails on them, and they'll move around, and they'll shimmer in the sun, and those fish will see that thing, and then their eyes will get big, and they'll clamp down on it. But what happens is, when those fish bite down on those things, they have hooks in them. And when the person holding the, the pole feels that bite, feels that nudge, they jerk it back, and they start reeling in. And that's exactly how evil desires work. There are things in our life that look good, they shine in the sun. They're things that we're not supposed to be doing. And that word there, entice, that word there, entice, means that there's, it's a creative way of persuading you to do something. And did you know, did you know that you can persuade yourself to do something that God said not to do? Did you know that? Sometimes we get creative with ourselves and we say, you know what? I know that I know that I married my husband. I know that I married my wife 10 years ago, but I just met my soulmate. I just met my soulmate. And this is the person that I was supposed to be with. God ain't never told us about no soulmate. <laughs> but that's a real thing. And you see that idea put forth in movies. You see romantic comedies where somebody's been married for 10 years and then they meet somebody at work. This is my soulmate. Look, baby, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is my soulmate. And we'll convince ourselves that wrong is right. And then once we take bite of that thing, we're hooked. We're pulled away. And it's a dangerous thing to be in. And we look at this, we go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we look at this dangerous situation where something that was good, something that was good, Genesis chapter 3, 
verse number one. What does the Bible read there? Read one through three. Our Genesis chapter three. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals. Again, the Bible says the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Keep reading. He said to the woman. He said to the woman. Did God really say? He said, did God really say? You can't eat from any tree in the garden. Now he knew good and well that God said that all the trees they can eat from. There's nothing wrong with eating. But what I need you to see here is that Satan don't know what you don't show him. Satan does not know everything. Satan cannot read your mind. So what he's doing here, he's probing, trying to find out where the weakness is. So he asked the question that he knows that she already knows. Keep reading. The woman said to the serpent, uh -huh. we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. Now she was right when she said this here. The woman said, verse number two, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. She was right. She was telling the truth here. Keep reading. Verse number three. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, uh -huh. God said, you must not eat it. Pause. She was right up until this point. She said, God said the tree that's in the middle of the garden, he said, we cannot eat from that tree. That's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We can't eat from that tree. And she was right up until that point. But then what did she say after eat it? Or touch it. God never said that. God never said that. Keep reading that. Finish that off. Or, or you will. Or you will die. Satan doesn't know. Satan doesn't know what is in our heart. He has to inquire. He has to, he has to put some things out in front of you to see, okay, are they gonna bite? If 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 I if I make this this uh this worldly girl walk by. Is he going to wait for his wife to look over there and then he's going to do? If I leave, if I make everybody leave the room while they count the collection money, is he going to take a second look at the envelope? Think about pulling something out. When he's at work and his boss isn't looking, is he going to stop working for 15 minutes and go get coffee and talk about how the Toronto Raptors beat the Warriors? Cheat the clock, steal from the system? Satan notices these things. And what he does is he takes these evil desires and he uses us. He uses them against us. That's a smooth criminal. Eve shows her hand. Go back to James chapter 1, verse number 15. Let's look at this. So James keeps describing how sins works, how sin works. And in verse number 15, what does the Bible say? Then after the desire has conceived. Then he says, then after desire has conceived. Now I need you to understand that it takes two to conceive anything. Right? Mufasa and his wife took two to make Simba. Okay? Your mama, your daddy, the kids. Then it says, after desire has conceived, it takes two, right? So it takes your evil desire and you acting on it. You acting on your evil desire. You acting on that temptation, right? You acting on that temptation, engaging in that temptation. Nothing wrong with being tempted. Don't feel bad because you've become a Christian and you still have temptations. There ain't nothing wrong with it. Just don't engage in that temptation. But it says when you engage in that temptation... It conceives something, and then after it conceives, after it's grown nine months, what comes out? It gives birth to sin. It gives birth to sin. That's where sin is born. An evil desire that grew into a temptation, and then you acted on the temptation, and that's where sin comes from. That's exactly where sin comes from. And then it says that sin doesn't stay a baby. And when sin is fully grown, it says that when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to it death. It gives birth to death. This is what I want you to see in this. It is never the case. Y'all listening? It is never the case where the devil made you do it. The devil didn't make you do it. 
I want you to understand that there is no sin and temptation, as I stated. But when it comes to sin and that smooth criminal, there is an accomplice. And it's always you. When it comes to sin in the, in the smooth criminal, there is usually an accomplice involved. Sin cannot exist if you don't engage in it. All right? We can throw that devil made me do it out the window. All right? He didn't make you do it. He didn't possess your body and make you do something you didn't want to do. You wanted to do it. You regretted it after the fact, but you wanted to do it at first. All right? Amen? Verses 16 through 17. Let's look at that for a moment. Verse don't be 16. deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. James here, he wants to, he says, don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. I want you to understand something. I want you to know that I love you too. He says, my beloved, or, or, or my, my dear brothers and sisters. Keep going, 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above. He says, everything that's good that you receive, that comes from God. That comes from God. I don't want you to think that the good things that come in life are all from, he, he, the, the devil's just trying to trick you. Good gifts come from God. And it explains God in a way that isn't used in the Bible very often, but it calls God the father of lights. The father of lights. And as I'm doing my study and I'm asking myself, what is this talking about? And this is talking about God. It's a callback to creation. He is the creator, the great creator of good things. He's the father of lights. That means that his light ain't going out. Right. Pay attention to this right here. Watch what he says after this. Who does not change like shifting shadows. God does not change like shift, shifting shadows. God is not going to change. God isn't going to be like, I'm going to give you something good all this week, and next week I'm going to be mad at you and give you all bad. God isn't going to start putting, uh, allowing trials and temptations to come in your life for you to strengthen your faith, and then all of a sudden say, I'm going to put this trial in his life because I know he's going to fall. I know I can get him in hell with this one. That's not who God is. God is consistently good. His nature is good. He is love. He can't be anything other than who he is. And he's always been that. God is not going to change from being the creator of all good things into being a tyrant. Verse number 18. By his own choice. This is still talking about God. It says that God made this choice to gave, do what? He gave us birth. It says that God gave us birth. By the word of truth. By the word of truth. So that we would be a kind of first fruits. So that we would be a kind of first fruits. Of his creatures. This is what I need you to see in this. This doesn't just call back to the creation events over in Genesis. But it says that he gave us birth. He birthed us by the word of truth. This here is talking about Christianity. God's new creation, God's new people. He birthed us by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, the conception of first fruits in the Old Testament, when they, were, when they would give the offering of the first fruits, they would give the first things that came up out of the ground, the best things, they would give it to God. They had faith that God was going to give them more. They said, God, this is a great thing that I have fruits from these seeds that I've planted. I'm going to give them to you because I know you're going to give me more. There's more to good things to come. But in here, in James, he says that we are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Us as Christians ought to be an example of the good things that God is going to continue to do for the rest of creation. Okay? Let's go back to the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 18. Or verse number 8. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking this in the garden. This right here. This right here is what happens. After they've eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. They're in the garden. Their eyes are open. They know that they're naked now. 
They were innocent. They were beings that were created solely to rely on God. Their purpose was, if I don't know about something, I just need to ask God what it means and what I should do. And that's how life was supposed to be. That's how life ought to be today. If I can't figure something out, I don't go puff, puff, pass to forget about it till tomorrow. I don't take 15 shots. I ask God to give us the answers to the things that we need. Need. All right. There in this garden, they eat of the fruit. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. God's walking in the garden. Imagine this. Use your imaginations. They're in the garden. They have a great relationship with God. God is in the garden with them. And they hear him coming. Now, up until this point, God has done no harm to them. God has not done anything that would have been scary. But whenever they hear the sound of God, keep reading, Brother Arnold. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When they heard God, they hid from him. When they heard God, they hid from him. Nobody is going to hide unless they have something to hide. You see, what they did was when they took of the fruit, they bit off more than they could handle. They couldn't handle by themselves what it meant to be naked. They just knew that they felt shame. They didn't have anybody to ask why. But they let that smooth criminal tell them, you're not going to die. And they didn't die. Y'all realize when they, they ate of the fruit, they did not die? They didn't die right away. Two trees in the garden, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil, and also the tree of life. When God saw that they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he said, we can't let them stay here because if they eat of that tree of life and live forever, he didn't even finish his sentence. That's an unbearable thought for us to live in sin. God loved us so much that he said, I don't want them to live this way forever. Thank God he had a plan before he even created y'all. Keep reading that right there. For the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, uh -huh. where are you? Now, God asked the question. Do y'all believe that God didn't know where they were? God is everywhere at the same time, but God asked him, where are you? He's given an opportunity. Hey, God, I messed up. Can you fix me? God calls out, where are you? Keep reading. And Verse he said, number 10. I heard you in the garden, uh -huh. and I was afraid because I was naked. He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So, so I hid. So I hid. Verse number 11, the God comes back. He says what? Then he asks, who told you that God you were says, naked? God says, who told you that you were naked? I didn't, I didn't reveal that to you yet. I didn't talk to you about what it means to be naked. Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God asked him a question he already knew the answer to again. And all I can see is that God keeps giving him an opportunity to tell the truth. Keep reading. The man replied, uh -huh. the woman you gave me to be with Adam me. Adam said, this woman you gave to me, Eve. She gave me some fruit from she the tree. She gave me fruit and I ate it. And God's probably looking at him like, man, I told you to have dominion over created things. Not to obey created things. The good thing was humanity having dominion over all creation. And what Adam and Eve has done is they've decided to obey creation and let creation have dominion over them. That's all that sin is. Sin is creation having dominion over you. The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. Keep going. Verse number 13. So the Lord God asked the woman. So then he asked the woman. What is this you have done? He said, what did you do? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and, and I she ate. she said, the serpent deceived me and that's why I ate. So everybody here is passing the buck. 
It was the woman. It was the serpent. It never stated that the serpent put the fruit in the mouth of the two human beings in the garden. But they made a decision. Let's go back here to Genesis chapter 2. Verse number 16. Read that. Chapter 2, And the verse Lord 16. God commanded the man. And the Lord God commanded the man. You may freely eat of every tree of the God garden. God says you can eat of every tree of the garden. Keep reading. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge but of good of the and tree evil, of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you uh -huh. shall die. God never said they couldn't eat from the tree of life to give them eternal life. But they chose to eat from the tree that they were. It was only one tree. You got oranges, apples, pears. What are grapes? Now, grapes grow on vines. Never mind. All these different trees you could have eaten off of. But they chose to eat the one that they weren't supposed to eat from. It says, in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Drop back to Genesis chapter 3, verse number 21. What, is, what happens here? And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. This is how much God loves you. The Lord God, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for the man for his wife and clothed them. God said, in the day that you eat of this, you're going to die. I want you to understand, if you too city-fied to understand this, that garments of skin don't just happen. Something had to die in order for them to be covered. Something had to die in order for their shame, in order for the results of their sin to be covered. Something had to die. And God chose to kill this animal in order to cover them and clothe them and give them what they need when they couldn't do for themselves. That's how much God loves you. Keep reading verse 22. Then the Lord God said. Then the Lord God said. See, the man has become like one of us. Keep reading. Knowing good and evil. Knowing good and evil. And now uh -huh. he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life uh -huh. and eat. Uh -huh. And live forever. God didn't want that. God did not want that. God had to put us out from his presence. Because God is a just God. And he has to deal justly with people. You ask the question sometimes in your life. Why doesn't God put an end to evil? Why, doesn't, why does he allow for 13 people to be killed inside of a church? Why does they allow for school shootings to happen? Why does God allow all these things? And the answer is, if God eradicated all evil on this earth, there wouldn't be nobody here. There'd be nobody on this earth. Because we like to rank sin. And we rank the murder way up here. And then we put the, the lie that we told to our boss all the way at the bottom. You wasn't late because your alarm clock died. He's just trying to get Chick-fil-A. But that sin we usually put way down here. When sin is sin. This smooth criminal behaves in such a way to which he takes the things that are okay and he turns them into something that are not he probes and he prompts and he sees the areas in which we're weak in. And then he invites us to cause chaos and to cause discord in the creation that is good. This smooth criminal cannot do it by himself. He receives our help to cause us to sin. And we're the cause of our sin. God had to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden. You can't be in God's presence if you're overcome by sin because God has to do something about it. And because of that sinful state, because we couldn't do anything for ourselves, God sent his son to die for us. The death that we should have received, the punishment that should have been on us, 
Jesus took that upon himself. And he said, you know what? I know that you sinned. I know that you've done wrong in your past. My blood is going to cover your shame for doing that. My blood is going to make it to where you can stand before God. My blood is going to put you in fellowship and make you a part of the body. My blood is going to wash all of your sins away. To the point to where everything that you've done wrong in your past, God isn't even going to hold you accountable for it. And after you are baptized for the remission of your sins, if you mess up, all you got to do is ask for forgiveness, and that's forgotten too. That's good news. That's the gospel. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to understand that you live beneath your privilege. God has something special for you. God has put into place, even before the creation of the world, he knew that man was going to need help. He knew that man was going to put himself into a situation in which he would need good news to continue on. And God wants to be in relationship with you. You must first hear the word of God. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. There is no way to salvation if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the savior. You must repent of your sins for you cannot be with God if you don't change your mind about how you see sin. You can't be with God if you don't change your mind. God is concerned with the heart. Change your mind about it. You must confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God. It cost Jesus his life here on this earth when he came here. It'll cost you yours. Were you going to die to yourself? But I promise, as he did with his son Jesus, I promise that when you die to yourself, he'll bring you back and make you into something even better. He'll make you into a Christian. And what he'll do is he'll place him within you, the Holy Spirit. That's the only way to receive the Holy Spirit is through baptism. When you're washed in the blood of Jesus, when you meet baptism, when you meet the blood of Jesus in baptism, you are literally dipped, buried in the water. And when you come up, you're a new creature in Christ, ready to start your path towards eternity. If you're not a Christian, or if you are a Christian and you haven't been living right, ask for forgiveness today. Start clean before you walk out those doors. This is the time as we sing the song of invitation. All to Jesus, Jesus I, I surrender.